Number 20, I've got two verses. I may add one other verse that I didn't have them put on the screen. I've prayed uh, very diligently and purposely about this message to be able to handle this message the, the right way. Because I'm preaching to these guys and gals that have a call of God upon their life. But I'm not just preaching to them, I'm preaching through them. So in Acts chapter number 20, allow me to take a moment in a few moments to kind of build the context here. But it's the 17th verse where Paul, it says, And from Miletus, he being the apostle Paul at the conclusion of his final missionary journey, he is sent to Ephesus, he sent word to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church. In this next few verses, we can't read it for the sake of time, Paul gives a sharp and a strong exhortation and encouragement to the elders of the church. And I want to read verse 28. He says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God. Notice this. Paul says, Your responsibility as an overseer is to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, I didn't have them put the next couple of verses on the screen, but I felt after a little bit later that I should go ahead and read the next verse at least. And I want to read that. It's the 29th verse. If you're going by your Bible in your hand, you'll be able to follow. Paul said, For I know this, that after my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So Paul's gravely concerned about the future of the church, and he gives this exhortation to the elders. And now two verses in 1 Timothy that we want to read today in the fifth chapter of 1 Timothy, and then I'll try to put all this together here in just a little while, but a lot of the context that I'm going to be borrowing from is actually in 1 Corinthians 9, so you can kind of leave your Bible open there. We won't read it as a text, but I'll probably allude to it here in just a moment. But notice this, the 17th verse, once again, the aged apostle here is writing to Timothy, giving Timothy instruction to the elders. Now, I'll explain what the elders are in just a moment, because I know you're saying, well, Pastor Brown, these men don't look that old. And uh, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Read that with me. Let the elders that rule well or lead well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. And church family, today I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to borrow uh, you know, a moment, and I'm going to pray that God would add his great blessing to it, and I'm going to trust that he is. I'm going to talk to our pastoral staff today, and I'm going to speak to them, but our responsibility is to feed the flock of God. That's our challenge. We're going to feed the flock of God. Father, we love you, and we're grateful for this moment today in the name of Jesus. And we ask that you would bless us, Father, to hear and to receive the word of God. Thank you for an attentive ear today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I take just a moment to just talk to you about the context there of those two passages to just kind of lead into it? And I know that, you know, we often read the Word of God with a very, um, I don't want to say selfish purpose, because that's the wrong word, but akin to it would be, you know, we're, we're looking for something for us. We're looking for something that's going to affect our, our lives. We're saying, God, I want to know about you, but I also want to know about what you're going to do in my life. So we're searching it. And then yet at the same time, some of us look to the Word of God to say, Father, 
how can I bend my will to, uh, to walk in the fullness of your will for my life? And we, are, we have a pure motive behind it. We're studying the scriptures. We're searching because we want to we know. Well, when you're a pastor, you do the same thing. You want to, you know, study the scriptures to say, Father, if there's something you can give me that's very, uh, you know, direct towards my responsibilities as a pastor and a leader in the body of Christ, then I, I've got to know this. I've got to study because I, I want to make sure that I'm pleasing to God and fulfilling the, the, the responsibility that He's given to me. And I'm telling you, that's not always easy to do, and it, it requires a lot of stretching and straining. It, call, it requires, a, you know, we have to die to ourselves on this altar. Many times we have to lay ourselves, our own personalities, our own weaknesses, our own shallow places, and we have to say, God, you know, build up the shallow areas of my life, put to death the carnal side, and Father, I pray whatever good is in me is all from you, and that it would be a reflection of your grace, because the, the thing that's in the heart of all the men and women that profess a call of God on our life is, we want to bless the people of God. We want your life to be better. We want you to be stronger in faith. We want to, just like Jesus told, the, uh, told Peter right before the night of his betrayal, remember what he told Peter? He said, Satan has desired to have you, Peter. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. He said, and when you're converted, we want you to strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's, that's kind of, that's where we're at. We want to, we don't want to see your faith fail. We, we know that trials are going to come. We're not going to promise you that every day that you're going to just have all these good things happen and you're never going to have a bad day. You're never going to have a, a, a difficult moment or a tragedy, but we're going to actually look you in the eye and we're going to tell you exactly what Jesus said. In the world, you're going to have tribulations. You're going to have trials. As a matter of fact, because of your faith in God, you've been marked and there's a target put on you. We, that we're going to let you know that your adversary, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. But we're going to teach you how to be strong in the faith. We're going to teach you how to resist the enemy. Come on. We're going to teach you how to grow in grace and godliness and have a passion and a zeal for your life and hopefully have a right balance to you so that you can have right thinking. Because if you have right thinking, it produces right living. Right? And it's not an easy task. Because you give us about 45 minutes of your week to do it. Right? And so at the end result, here's our desire. We want to present you as a chaste virgin to the Lord. That's what Paul said in the book of Colossians. He said, I want to present you as this chaste, holy, virtuous bride unto God. And y'all give us such a little time to be able to influence you. So we gotta, we got to come together and we got to come on a purpose and, and in, a, in a passion and a zeal because we got to put something inside of you that's going to keep you and sustain you and strengthen you so that you can be the men and the women of God that God's called you to be. And let me tell you, it's not always easy. And we got to keep sharpening ourselves in order to sharpen you. Because if with the text of Scripture that I'm kind of gleaning from in 1 Corinthians 9, in a few moments, Paul said this. He said, I buffet my own body. Paul said, in essence, I discipline myself because I don't want to preach to others while myself become a castaway. And so we got to walk in this fine, 
balance between being an encourager and a challenger and a teacher and an instructor, but all the while making sure that we discipline our own selves and our own faith. Because there's one thing that I'm concerned about. I want the person that you see in front of you every Sunday standing behind this pulpit with a microphone around his head or a microphone in his hand and a Bible in the other hand, preaching and exhorting and encouraging. I want it to be the same man that walks down from this platform and lives a life in front of you of integrity and character and grace and kindness and love where I don't have the appearance of one thing that I live in front of you for one brief moment throughout the course of the week where I act one way the rest of the week. We want to be consistent and live a life that's bringing glory to God. Come on, somebody, and edifying to your life. And the Apostle Paul, I can see when I, I've been trailing him this week. I want to be honest. I didn't prepare a sermon today. And I, could, I, have, I have hundreds of sermons in my office that did not come from sermon.com. But they came from my own personal prayer and study and discipline. And I spent ample time in study for a sermon. But I said, God, I don't want a sermon. I want something from my heart this week. I want something even deeper and beyond because I feel like we're at a very critical moment in the future of the church. I know we're at a present moment, but what's happening now is setting the precedence for what's going to happen in the future. Let me tell you real quick where I find a little bit of concern in my own heart and life. And that is, I find concern in the body of Christ that is becoming so shallow, so watered down, so lacking of conviction, so lacking of the presence of God when you walk into the four walls of the building. And you know what I find concerned because ministers oftentimes are those that have created that atmosphere and accommodated it and even sought to facilitate it. And I'm not saying that to be critical. I try so hard. I preach difficult sermons on, behind this desk. If you were here the last two weeks, you know that I'm willing to take a head-on very difficult subject matters and hopefully do it with a, a spirit of meekness and humility and grace and to do it very, uh, uh, you know, delicately. And it's not always easy. So I'm not a critical person. I'm a positive person. But I just believe that God wants His people in our generation to be able to anticipate where we're going but to never forget where we came from. And I want you to know today, standing in this church today, we are an Assemblies of God church. What that means is we are Pentecostal charismatic believers. That means that we believe in the supernatural power of Almighty God. We're not cessationists. We don't believe that the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit passed away with the death of the last apostle or with the canon of Scripture in 325. But we believe in the perpetuation of the gifts and the manifestations of God. And we believe in the anointing and the power of God. And we believe that speaking in other tongues will aid you your Christian worship and empower you as a believer to go out into this lost and dark world and be a bright and a shining light. And we're unashamed of it. We're unashamed to stand on this platform like Joe did a moment ago and say it's our simple belief that God wants you well, whole, healed by the power of God. But you've got to believe. But we're seeing what's taking place, what's taking place in the transition of the Pentecostal world where we've fallen into the trap, where it's like we simply want to accommodate everybody and we've fallen into the cultural trap that, that says that if we, if we in any ways or any wise contend for the gospel or contrast the culture, then we're somehow, 
we are, we are doing the, the culture a disservice. And I can't buy into that. I don't believe that everything about the Word of God is to appease and, uh, your fleshly appetite. I believe that the Word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. And we read it because it builds us up, but we also read it because it cuts away at the carnal appetite that we all wrestle with. And we've made it our goal. And we've made it our passion as pastors and leaders to be able to challenge our church family. You know, you hear me talk oftentimes about the culture. The culture has changed so much in my short period of time in life. And one of the things, I'm not that culturally relevant. And I struggle just a little bit. It's easier for me to go back than it is to go forward. Come on. But I want to say this. I can't go back. I've got to go forward. But I can also say, as I pledge forward into a new culture and into a new generation, I can reach back and catch hold of the principles of faith that sustain my spiritual forefathers and embolden them in their faith and in their Pentecostal distinctive. And we can gracefully hand that off to a generation that is yet to come. Let me give you an example real quickly where I, I, I see this in the Word of God. Paul was at... Paul was traveling there on his last missionary journey. It's not that long before Paul's going to be in prison. He's going to be in chains. Matter of fact, if you read the whole context, he said, he said the Holy Spirit witnesses in every city that chains and bonds await you. But Paul, in that journey, at Miletus, he sends for someone. He sends for the elders. Now, when you think of elders, in our context, we think of the elderly. Correct? Or the aged. But in that context in Scripture, elder is also synonymous with overseers or leaders in the church. Now, sometimes they were aged men, but they were not always thus as Timothy. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, but Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. So we know that there was uh, variations in age, but by the office, it became an office of an elder. Now, sometimes, again, they were older, but not always. Paul is greatly concerned, enough to have the elders of the church at Ephesus. Now, again, it's hard for us to, to think in that same first century mindset because all we know is our church, and all we know is because we have just a singular body of Christ right here called First Assembly that we're directly connected to. And you know what? I have no jurisdiction over the church of the Nazarene down the road or the church of God across the street, or the Methodists up the hill, or, the, or, or, or on the bypass churches. I, I have no involvement or jurisdiction. But in those days, there was just one church in the city. And so there would be an elder or a bishop, and there would be other elders under them. And it seems oftentimes, one of the reasons why I reference Timothy, it seems that there was apostolic fathers, and then there were men that carried the passion of the apostolic fathers who gave the instruction to the elders in the community. And in this moment, Paul is inviting the elders of Ephesus to meet him at Miletus because if you read that in its entirety, you'd find this. He'd said this right here, you're going to see my face no more. This was his last moment. What if you... What if you had an opportunity and you knew that this is the last time that you were ever going to influence people that meant a lot in your life? 
and that there was a lot more. You were looking for more than just uh, planning your funeral and your eulogy, but you were giving them a charge because your passion was still the church, and Paul's passion was the church, and he charged the Ephesian elders, and he said, listen, he said, you're an overseer. Take the oversight thereof and feed the flock of God. Don't forget that. I want to talk about that in just a moment. He said, feed the flock of God. And then he said, because I know that after my departure, what did he say is going to enter in? Grievous wolves who, will do not, who won't do what? They, they won't spare the flock. What does that mean? What does that mean? Pastor, put me in that perfect context. That means the apostle is saying right here, he said, I'm about to be taken away, and you're not going to see my face anymore. And he said, and I've stood between you and the grievous wolves in days gone by. And Paul said this, I know that in my absence they're going to come in, and they're going to try to divide the flock, and they're going to try to devour the flock. And most often they try to devour the flock through false doctrine. Because, church family, the enemy wants to skewer your belief and twist the Scriptures to the degree that you believe in a lie and believe in error. Because as you do so, you'll live your life thinking you're justified because you put your faith in the wrong thing. And so Paul said the thing that was going to stand between the people and the grievous wolves is the next generation of spiritual leaders and pastors. And I think that we are at a very pivotal moment in the body of Christ right here in America because we got pastors today more concerned about what they look like, what they dress like, the lighting in the church, the color of carpet, or greeters out in the foyer than they are the content and the context of the Word of God that they're bringing to the people. And I want you to know today that the men and the women of God that I want to stand, see stand here between you and the wolf is a man and a woman of God that understands the power of the Word of Almighty God. That they have sold themselves out and they've given themselves not to just be a facilitator, not to just gather your youth for youth gatherings, but to hold in their hand the authoritative Word of Almighty God and look you right in the eye and preach it with unction, preach it with power and preach it with conviction that's what I believe that we need to see once again in this in our air because if we're not we're going to look up and we're going to be so far in left field that we won't even know how we got there and church family this is real we're at a very pivotal moment we have folks that don't know anything about the word of God biblically illiterate with an iPhone and an iPad in their lap and in their hand and with all types of resources made available, and we don't know the Scriptures. And that's why we're susceptible to continual trial and stumbling, and that's why we're hot one day. Oh, I love Jesus. Give me the T-shirt. And the next day we're ready to walk away from God. I want you to know God's will for you is to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God, to know what you believe. Jay said it on Wednesday night. You have an anointing from the Holy One. John went as far as to say this right here. He said, when the Spirit of God is teaching you, don't become dependent upon a man teaching you. Now, that's not taken away from our call. That's not taken away from us as the leaders. But that's saying that you're not going to put your trust in a man, but you're going to trust in the leading of the Holy Spirit because you too can have a listening ear. You can have, like John of old, you can pillow your head on the bosom of Christ and hear his heartbeat. Hear his heartbeat. Hear his pulse in your own ear. And listen for God's voice to be spoken to you. And so I want to say this today. I'm not angry or aggravated. I'm in, I've got a new passion. 
You know what my new passion is? I'm going to charge and challenge this next generation of preachers. Listen, you don't have to follow the precedent that's being set in front of you by the cultural shift in Pentecostalism. You don't have to follow it. You don't have to appease and accommodate. There's still moments when you could come to the house of God and say, you know what? I got a word from God. I thought about that and I thought, my God, where's the pastors that stand up and say, I got a word. Not just the word. I've got the word. But what about a word that says, you know what? I didn't get this through sitting in my back room somewhere, borrowing it from somebody else's sermon. But I laid myself bare before God in prayer. And I cried out and I said, God, put a word in my spirit for the people of God. John Wesley said this. Why did the crowds come to see you preach? He said, because I set myself on fire for God and people came just to watch me burn. Oh, God, that we would see men of God, women of God that are preaching the word of God have such a passion for the word of God. If we don't have a passion for the word of God, we're going to be susceptible to who? And to what? The devourer. The devourer will come in and he'll divide and conquer. He'll create erroneous teachings that we call heresies. And in doing so, it's going to leave the church splintered and powerless in a wave of persecution and affliction that could be coming upon the church in America today. And I grieve. I'm going to say this. I grieve when people go to churches only to make themselves feel good. They go to churches only because of, uh, you know, little gatherings and such. You know what? If I was to, if I, if I got, if the Lord said, Pastor Brown, you're, I don't think he's going to, so it's probably the wrong analogy. I'll just give you an example of this. I'm so excited. That was the wrong example because Paul said this, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. There are times that I don't want to continue. I mean, you've ever been in something for 30 years and you think, you know what? Ah, maybe I need a shift. You know what? That happens to us pastors, doesn't it? I've been doing it longer than them, and I can guarantee you that they have had those thoughts. But what keeps us going? What is it? Paul said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. His word, Jeremiah said, was like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I could not forbear. He said, I could not restrain. I have to speak it out. I have to preach it. I have to declare it. And so my goal and my desire is to see. And so I think about my own children for a moment of time. And I've told you this a few weeks ago. And they're at Otter Creek Assembly of God, three Browns, that uh, as they've grown and got married are going to be, uh, uh, that participate and they're becoming pillars in that church. Why am I making mention of that? Because when Sherry and I got to go there just a few weeks ago, I sat there and I was so excited in my heart because I saw a pastor, Pastor John Tracy, who had a passion for people, but he had a passion for the Word of God. And he was casting a vision of where his church is going in this contemporary generation, but he didn't forget where he'd come from. And he knew about the power of the Pentecostal experience and the divine unction related and necessary to preach the Word of God. And I thought to myself, thank God, no wonder my kids are being stirred. No wonder why they're texting me and asking me Bible questions. Come on, somebody. Uh, that's an exciting moment. It's because something is stirring in their midst, the Word of Almighty God. And this group of men and women that we call our pastors, they have a passion for the Word of God. They have a zeal for the Word of God because they know the Word of God is what's going to build you up. If we had read farther in Acts chapter number 20, Paul said, I leave you with the word of grace, which is able to build you up and give you a hope. And I thank God for the preaching of the word of God. 
I want to kind of shift for just a moment real quickly and talk about this and expose to you the challenge that we have uh, in our generation for just a few moments of time. In this passage of Scripture that I read in 1 Timothy, Paul told Timothy, he said, the elders that are among you, he said, he said show them honor. Is that a bad thing? You know, when I preach this message every year, I try to take myself out of it, of the equation, because I want to influence the body for principles and a precedence that has nothing to do with me personally and everything to do with what's right by the Word of God. And I want you to know it's a good thing when you come along a pastor and say, Pastor, I appreciate you. I thank you for sharing the Word of God with my children. I thank you for taking my kids and taking them up and floating the river and loving on them and challenging them with the Word of God. I thank you, Pastor, for speaking the Word while you're leading song, that you're making that as spiritual of an element as you can. I thank God, Pastor, that you're challenging me to grow in my knowledge of the Word of God and have a deeper understanding. Let me know that's a powerful thing. And so the passage there, he said, give honor to, in that sense, he said, let's honor. That's in 1 Timothy chapter number 5. He said, honor. And he said, those, notice this, look real quickly. I want to show you something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to narrow this for a minute. I ain't going to keep you too long. But now, you know what? I bait you out here every year with a potluck dinner fellowship. You don't have to go beat the Baptist to the church or to the restaurant. We got it right here. So just calm down a little bit. We got a good thing going. Come on, somebody. Amen. And Paul said this in that passage of Scripture. He said, don't muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the grain. Have you ever thought about that? And you put that in context. He said, honor those who labor in word and in doctrine. Now, doctrine means teaching. Let me just share with you real quickly. Teaching and the labor of teaching is the byproduct of our labor in the word. Now, do you understand what that means? Let me me just try to put that all together for you. That means... I'm going to come here and I'm going to teach. And you're going to say, well, our pastor works 45 minutes a week. Because that's when you see me labor in teaching. But you don't see me labor in the Word. Because laboring in the Word is where I lock myself up alone with God to study and to flesh out and to dig deep and to pray and to say, God, give me a word for the people. So that when I stand in front of them, the fruit of that labor, the labor of being in the Word, is now the labor of teaching. And so sometimes, and I'll I'll speak for all of these men, Joe especially because he's been doing it the longest with me, sometimes teaching becomes the easiest part of it. If, if, If I've had a powerful encounter with God... And the Lord has revealed things to me quickly and swiftly and dropped them in my spirit. I'm telling you, it's easy to get up here and preach. But what if I've had distraction after distraction and challenge after challenge and difficult things? And sometimes Brent's uh, our custodial here at the church equally as well. So he's kind of bivocational in that sense. Sometimes before he preaches and teaches, he's got to go unclog a toilet. You see, all kinds of things... uh, But listen, our labor in the Word produces within us a powerful passion in our labor for teaching the Word of God. But that teaching then becomes the component that's going to challenge your life, 
Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? Fables, stories, television uh, examples? No, faith in God comes by hearing the Word of Almighty God. And so we've got to study to show ourselves approved unto God so that when we stand in front of you, you'll say, you know what, that's a man or a woman of God right there, and they've got a word from God in their spirit. And so Paul said, when you've got somebody in the church that carries that, that anointing on their life, how many you know that's a tangible anointing? Listen, you can put a microphone in anybody's hand and call them a speaker, but that doesn't mean that they've got an anointing to preach the Word of God. And so in this context, Paul said, you know what, recognize them, show them honor. So that's why today I thank God that we're going to honor these men and women and their, and their this, uh, husbands and wives and their spouses and recognize them. Secondly, in closing today, just for a moment, let me tell you how difficult that is, though. Let me talk to you personally for just a moment. Paul said this, don't muzzle the mouth of the ox that treads out the grain. Take the muzzle off. Because he's got to eat, because if the ox doesn't eat, he doesn't produce. And if the ox doesn't produce, then you don't have anything to eat. Does that make sense to you real quickly? Now, you say, what does that mean, Pastor Brown? Let's let's look at this just a little bit closer. Did you know that verse of Scripture is three times mentioned in the Word of God? There are very few passages. Did you know the whole Protestant movement hinged upon the exhortation that the just shall live by faith, which was quoted three or at the most four times in the Word of God, but three times in the Word of God is an exhortation not to muzzle the ox and his mouth who's treading out the grain. What does that mean and what's my application to that is? That means that we have to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to make sure that our pastors have living wages to, because they have to, as they're treading out the grain that's going to produce edification in your life, and we can't muzzle them, we've got to make sure that they have a fair compensation. You need to say, Pastor, well, what makes that so challenging? Here's what makes it so challenging, because we live in the megachurch, tele-evangelist generation. And in one moment, you got Jesse Duplantis saying that he's believing for $54 million so he can have his own uh, second or third or fourth own personal jet to fly from his location. And JoJo's saying, I'm just hoping to have a good enough living to put tennis shoes on my son's daughter so that they can go run up down the basketball floor. Did you hear what I'm saying today? And we're caught in that. And one of the things I'll tell you real quickly that I'll I'll watch, all of us have had to adapt to it. I did. I can remember the very first time. I I was an associate pastor at MacArthur without compensation for three to four years with Pastor Burton because I was in the military. And I remember one of the most challenging parts of me adapting to that new season of life is when I received compensation for preaching and being a pastor. And you say, you can sit back there and you can look at it from your perspective and say, man, that's easy. No, it's not easy. That's not easy because I know of your sacrifice. I know how hard you work. I know what, and then I know that sometimes people give out of plenty and some give out of need. 
And yet you come faithfully and you give, and then from that, a living wage is going to be severed off of it and provided for me as a pastor to raise my family and my children. And I have to adapt to that. And it was difficult, and it's difficult. And the one that we're watching right now go through that growing and that ebb and flow is, is Jason Katie. Is they're going to, they're going to uh, one day go from the workforce that they're in right now, and one day they're going to be set apart for ministry. And they're going to see that when, when, when their paycheck comes from the church instead of from a secular uh, employment. And I'm telling you, it's not easy. You say, Pastor, where are you getting this from? I'm telling you in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. Because Paul had this own, Paul felt like he had to defend himself. I'm not trying to defend myself any at all. I thank God for the grace of my life. I'm just trying to help you be a blessing to these men of God. I, I, th- I thank God and I want you to be a blessing to them because if you bless them I'll tell you what the Bible says if you give a cup of cold water to a prophet in my name you will not in any wise lose your reward did you know the one memorial in scripture that the Bible says will be spoken about until the coming of Jesus Christ is when a woman broke an alabaster box and took the fragrant oil and poured it on one man the man Christ Jesus And there were those that were around and looked at her and said, couldn't that have been sold and given to the poor? And Jesus said, the poor you have with you always, and as often as you want to, you can do them good. But he said, but for my burial, this was going to coincide with my purpose in my ministry and in my life. Has this woman done this? And he said, as wherever this gospel is preached, let a memorial. So you think that there's, that yes, God can put something in your heart to tell you to slip up to shame sometime and bless him or bless his wife or to bless Joe or Ann or, 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 or Brenton Vakel or Jason Katie. That, listen, that's not the devil telling you to bless them. That's God telling you to bless them because as you do so, you take the muzzle off and you allow them to tread out the grain. And when they're treading out the grain, you know what's happening? You're being fed the Word of Almighty God. You're hearing it, and it's permeating your mind, and it's going down into your spirit, and it's giving you power and anointing, and it's challenging you in every area of your life, and it's strengthening you in, your mat- in the maturity of your faith. As I'm closing today, the Apostle Paul rubbed in this place in 1 Corinthians 9, and you, have to, you, have to just, you just have to make this connection on your own and read that passage. I told Jared I wouldn't probably... He copied it, but I'm kind of random with it, and I might not be able to quote the verse and give you the actual verse. I'll just kind of paraphrase it. Paul is going through a defense at that moment because the Corinthians, the, the Corinthians have been influenced by people that were challenging Paul's character and his apostleship. That's carried over in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. That's the only passages of Scripture where Paul actually defended himself. At 2 Corinthians, he said this. He said, do they claim to be apostles? Am I not more? I mean, he had to because people were challenging his credentials. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is teaching of a principle, but he's using his own life as an example. But the oddity about that is it's the principle that he teaches is the principle that he chose not to exercise. What is that? He said, do we not have power to lead about a spouse? Do we not have power to stop working? What, he meant, what was he saying by that? Paul was saying, do we not have power to move out of the secular career field and work in the church from the wages of the church? But he said, we have used none of these things. Paul said, we chose not to do that. Just him. Why? Because he was a foundational apostle. 
And he said, we didn't want to do anything that would disrupt the gospel from the people that were hearing it for the very first time. Now, other churches would support Paul, right? He writes many times about how support comes and support comes. And that's the passage of Scripture where Paul said, he said it the second time. He said, does not the law say that you shall not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the grain? And I was thinking about that, and I thought, my God, what would happen if pastors had just that fair and that moment where we could live with such a clear consciousness in our resources and the blessing of God upon us that's been provided by the church so that us, so that we can, we can, we can tread out this grain that's going to feed and sustain your spirit. That's a necessary thing for the good of the body of Christ. And so Paul goes on down a little bit, and I am genuinely closing. I know y'all don't believe that, but I'm, I'm doing it. Paul goes on down in that passage of Scripture, though, and he said this. He said, consider the, the temple. He said, they that wait at the altar partake of the altar. And then he said this, even hath the Lord ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Did you hear that? Let me say that to you one more time. Because I can guarantee you that if every pastor that was here in front of you today that you're going to greet in just a moment were honest and told you and just said, you know, it is hard. It is hard. It's hard to, it's, it, it's hard to accept this. It's hard to, 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 you don't feel worthy. You don't feel justifiable. You don't feel in any of those things. The only thing that gives us the clear conviction is the Word of God. The Word of God says, don't muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. Give those that labor in word and in doctrine, they're worthy of double honor. They're worthy of double honor. Because why? Because God has ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And listen, what I want to ask you to do today, I want to ask you, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to pray for the men and the women that you call pastor in this assembly. And I want to ask you to do something even more. I want to ask you to bless them in kindness and pray that God blesses them in their resources. That they can live their life without worrying or struggle so that they would be more adequately prepared to minister to you the truths of the Word of God. Does that make sense in here today? I believe that the best... I wrote a card for all these men... And to their spouses on behalf of you and the church family. And I believe I put in all those cards at the end, the best is yet to come. How many of you believe that today? I believe the best is yet to come. So I want to ask if, first of all, if, Ms., if Joe and Ann would come and stand right here, turn and face our congregation, and we're going to pray for them in just a moment. Is that okay? Don't we pray for you when you need prayer, right? This is our moment. This is our day. Now I'm going to ask.